this is going to be a podcast for people that are sort of disenchanted with their job, trying to find out like a new opportunity or things they could do, or business owners that want to recruit, retain, and hire good people. And at the moment, because immigration pretty well stopped dead, it's been pretty hard to get good people because they're not going to New Zealand anymore, but they're starting to now, so there's hope. But we all go all sorts of different directions, and obviously I try to unpack belief systems and and talk about concepts that have nothing to do with what we should be talking about. So uh, have a listen. If you like it, give us a review. We'll kick into it. So off here, we were talking about a concept of manipulation, which is a strong way to kick <laughs> off. But I think as a question, what what when is manipulation okay, or is it ever not okay, and what makes it okay if it is okay? Ah, okay. So um, let's start with the small topics and we'll just go to the bigger ones later. Um, I think manipulation is is uh, okay depending on the end goal and the purpose. So, um, and, you know, we mentioned, so if, if you manipulate somebody else for your own benefit, that's not a good thing. If you manipulate someone else because you can see they will get a benefit or for a greater good benefit, then I don't see that that's a bad thing. In fact, I think it's quite a good thing. Often people will then get to a point at the end where they didn't realise that kind of they weren't always in control of the journey, that you were actually doing that for them. But they get to the end and they go, oh my goodness, this is amazing. Um, so you can do that a little bit in my, my other life, which is um, running a, a search firm, a recruitment firm is that I can encourage people and manipulate them a little bit into a situation of considering a job that they would, on first instinct, say, no, that's not me. But I know, because I've understood them a bit, that actually they should think about it. Mm. And so I have to manipulate them a bit to let them see it. If they they still don't get it, that's fine. But a lot of times people are stuck in a a cycle, particularly at the moment, a, a rat wheel, where considering other things, considering other options, etc., is almost too much cognitive load. I can't deal with it. So I'll say no, when in fact you should think about it. Um, mm. But sometimes we get into the situation where all I can deal with is eat, sleep, drink, repeat. You know, I, it's just, and then suddenly they wake up and two years later something's gone by and they haven't actually done anything or haven't changed anything in their lives. And so... You got to, uh, yeah, I think manipulation in that sense. I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bowed you up in the first moment. So, well, yeah, I think uh, I'm just finishing off a book at the moment, and um, I sort of see a salesperson as a person that inspires someone to go on a journey. Yeah, and if they're I'm not, okay. and part of that is priming them to be in a position where they're comfortable on that journey, and you know, one, it's getting their attention with conveying power, with tonality that's sharp instead of trying for rapport new zealand mm. often they're like oh can you before you go please hey how are you going like mm. and it's very it's quite sharp and i find it annoying as fuck but flat tonality conveying and occupying space like if you're stopping someone on the street or if you're making a phone call someone said it's kind of like imagine someone stole your iphone um but you're friendly <laughs> and that's the tonality you should have that's in the, the intro. Tonality. Oh, okay, that's nice. That's nice. Ah, oh, side issue. I'm I'm wound up at the moment. How come you can't have a transaction anymore with a single transaction? It always has to be two. You go and buy something, and now I've got to answer your questionnaire about what you think about me buying. I can't just buy something anymore. 
or a service. I can't buy it without getting an MPS score on something coming at me before. Could you rate us on this? I rated you pretty high, which is why I came to you in the first place. Anyway, separate issue. Yeah, no, uh, I know. I'm getting I'm, a lot of that at the moment. Oh yeah. Well, it's it's inter- it's like you you're asking you're asking an investment of effort after they've had a good experience. You know, so it's like, why would you want to stack? Why would you not uh, further enhance the positive experience? Oh, just so you know, thanks so much. You brought this. I just want to give you this too because it seemed like it's something that you would appreciate if you have questions about them, you know, and just give them more than what they expected and leave them in on, on that note. But then in saying that, you do need clean data and people a little, for lack of a better word, autistic in terms of their ability to read social cues. Yeah. Uh, look, that's fair because someone can come back and say we've got an MPS score of this or that, and it's data compared to someone at customer service who can say, "Oh, I had a really you know positive interaction with someone. You really have no idea whether they did or not." Um, yeah. So that's that's valid. Actually, I had a, I had a good experience about that. Um, total disaster, but it came to a good experience which, where I, I bought something online, um, and uh, I'll mention the name. It was actually a Weber barbecue online for the New Zealand air points so mm. I had some air points who's flying anywhere at the moment so I think <laughs> okay I'll buy a barbecue turned out that didn't get delivered not Air New Zealand's fault was the fulfilment place didn't deliver it in time and got the wrong address and anyway bit of a mess and I'm sort of stressing out because it's a holiday place and if I'm if I'm not there then this thing's going to get dropped in the middle of nowhere finally thinking am I getting anywhere all big vacuum nothing and then I get a call and say hi it's Martin from Weber Who's Martin from ever? Never heard him. Just to let you know, someone from our branch has jumped in a van and they're going down that to your place and they're going to drop it off. Wow. Okay, that's awesome. An hour later, Martin calls back and said, look, sorry, I was a bit confused when I was telling you, I forgot to tell you, we've upgraded your, your barbecue and we've given you one with an electric lighter or something else going through. And I thought, wow, he's so keen to actually get the logistics part satisfied, but he forgot to tell me about the upgrade that he'd given to the mm. actual deal. And I thought... I rate him on both points because he wasn't saying, we apologise, here's the upgrade, but don't worry, we'll get it there. His primary consideration was, I'll get it to you. Mm. That was where his head was at. And I thought, yeah, actually, I rate that. Well, you, you give off a sudden aura to my business associate around the the value of service. You know, he hand delivers all his Christmas cakes. Mm. And um, every year, it's just 250 clients and they're all over New Zealand. So it's quite a... It's when does he idea. start? October? You sort of yeah, <laughs> no, no, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like months, yeah. <laughs> um, so, w- what are your thoughts on how service seems to be dying? Is it dying? Um, is there a certain um, men of your ilk or your prestige or age, <laughs> age that they miss it? Um, or am I deluded? No, I think there, there's um, there's pockets um, of service. You know, and I, and I, again, I'm reaching back into sort of search and recruitment a bit. At the moment, we're in a situation where, where candidates um, know that the power is in their arm, right? Because there, there's 3% no unemployment. There's, you know, there's effectively zero unemployment. And, and they can get a job anywhere, pretty much. And it translates to, yeah, whatever. And, and there's a bit of that in terms of when you're dealing with somebody. And then... And the way you know that that's true is that when a good piece of customer service happens, it almost shocks you, and it shouldn't. You know, you should say that's what I expect—really high service—and that's what I get. But in fact, when it happens, you go, "Oh wow!" Hmm. Okay, that must tell you the baseline's not that great. 
Um, and so I do think that there is um, there's a transactional nature of uh, can we get it out? Can we get it to you? Um, and and couriers sort of um, emphasise that a bit because I'm now no longer meeting you in store to exchange the things I'm talking on. I'm talking. I'm engaging with the website and the couriers delivery. I've got more relationship with the courier than I do with your firm mm. in a face to face basis if I meet them. So. We, we, we've created a little bit of distance in that relationship that doesn't allow the customer service sometimes to excel on a person-to-person basis. It happens on a transactional basis. It's, it's within the transaction. It's kind of sad, though. It also, you, you could clearly see a differentiator between the companies that are successful and the ones that aren't. And yeah, it, it, sure. It's an extrapolation of that. What tends to happen, I find, is that they start off with those sort of processes that care and then they reach a certain scale and then they lose it and you're on hold for three hours. Yeah. And it, it, look, I get that because, you know, the, the, the we care, we're a family, all that sort of thing is really easy to do when the boardroom is uh, the kitchen table. <laughs> um, when it becomes the boardroom and there's layers, it gets harder to keep that feel. But I also think... And I think this is really happening almost post-COVID or through COVID, is that um, there's an underlying level of stress. It doesn't take much to get to it um, that people have got about their lives, cost of living, uh, whatever. And so you scratch that and bang, you you get. And, and the way you see that is that people go from supposedly content to outraged. There doesn't seem to be any middle ground anywhere. You're sort of, I'm outraged about this. Why are you outraged about it? Oh, well, you know, and and, and we sort of leap from DEFCON 5 to DEFCON 1, et cetera. And, and, and it's, it's, it's weird to me. I just, you know, rational discourse seems to go out the window because we're having this, did you see what happened here? I'm outraged. Well, if you think about it, there might be another way that that happened or something else. And I think... And that's a bit the same with customer service. You know, rubbish service element. How bad was it? Well, and then when you talk about it, it wasn't actually that bad, but they just felt affronted by something. Anyway. Yeah. So anyway, that's yeah. I, I think uh, I think part of that situational at the moment that people and I see it in the market when you're talking to people, they are stressed. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. We, you talk about them not being open to different things. It's like. The brain actually does something when you're in that state where it flips the lid. Like it's mm. not just the saying, the brain actually flips the lid. So it's when you're in fight or flight, it's very hard to think, like be cognitively aware and make decisions. Um, and then I sort of see people, like their identity and how they've shaped the way they think is kind of like a magnet where they'll they'll pick onto the things that reinforce that identity. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very hard to deviate someone from it. Like they take, talk in... Um, in military, but also also in sales, I think it's applicable. Is the the shortest, the longest way around is the shortest way home. So if you had these people with the, if you go direct, you're wrong because of this. Yeah, that yeah. service wasn't shit. Yeah, you're shit. That's not going to change your mind. But if you're if you're malleable and listening to them, and it seems sort of indirect, like a story of how someone worked their 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 lives through bad service, and they found a way to. But that's a bit dramatic. But so and I find on yeah. a. Yeah. I was just yeah something around that and it just sparked a memory I had I went to a um, breakfast meeting and uh, it was a presentation from three different um, thirty year olds who all running successful businesses mostly startups uh, 
the interesting thing to me was not how amazing these startup companies were. They all were. Every single one of them had a side hustle that was environmentally conscious or sustainability conscious or something was going to try every single one of them. And you think that was the impressive thing. Like um, in my day, said he's an old geezer, uh, it was kind of a get on and make money. And these people were using the money they'd made as a vehicle to be able to do something that it was actually going to change the planet or do something else. Hope. Oh, my goodness. You know, it's suddenly there's there's a purpose behind what you're doing because money is not a purpose. No. It's just an activator. It's interesting you say that. I, I wonder how much of it is virtue signaling in the terms of people are aware of the good you do because – I, I don't see too mm. much difference in humans from, you know, when whenever you were born oh. <laughs> to now. <laughs> like, they're, they're pretty similar, but the, the tools they use and maybe we're a bit more instant gratification, don't have much resolve comparatively because we don't have to deal with stressful situations. You just If you want to meet a girl, you swipe. If you mm. want to um, consume information and find an answer, you, you scroll. Um, That's an interesting point. I... I Maybe we are. Are we different? I, I think. I think. I, I don't think we were more resourceful. Um, I think we had to use our own resources more. I was born in, in New Plymouth in Taranaki. Oh yeah, and um, happiest place in the world. I heard voted oh, second or something. Cool place to grow up. You know, you go to the beach and half an hour later you're skiing. Yeah. Um, but I left at seventeen, went to university at Otago. Best thing you ever do. Because, oh, initiated. You know, I've heard horrible things about it's a fantastic place, and you do. make um, lifelong friends, and and uh, but importantly, you leave your hometown, and you grow up. And I didn't go home again to live ever uh, after that. And so I, I've lived in Auckland um, ever since. But um, and and our children have grown up in Auckland, and they're fine. I'm, I'm sure they're well adjusted. They went to Otago, so they must be. Um, but. I think it was a real benefit to grow up out of Auckland and come to Auckland, have a have a childhood out of there, and going through when instead of growing up in Auckland. Auckland's a tough city, you know, to get around to, mm. to actually go and do things. We used to bike ride ten k's to the beach or something. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't let my children when they were young get on a bike ride and go that far. You know. Yeah. So resourceful. Well, I don't think we were more resourceful. We just had to use our own resources because we didn't have other things. Mm. Um, we couldn't be stimulated by our cell phones or videos or Instagram. That's just different. I think uh, I think I find it fascinating how people reminisce on how things were compared to how they are. And I think um, I think it's Socrates. He he talked about way back then their kids you know they 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 lack responsibility they don't know what <laughs> true work is and it just seems to the cycle repeats absolutely absolutely we were completely irresponsible at university and the like luckily didn't have social media so no one could record it um but uh but it's formative you know to, it, it, and and some of those things uh, are about making mistakes but in a relatively safe environment and that's how you grow you don't grow by making you're getting it right all the time. Mm. You grow by doing some dumb stuff and actually you think, well, that's I don't think we'll do that again. And that, <laughs> and that's not just about your own behaviour. That might be the decisions you make around um, your business or the decisions you make around your finances or the sort of companies you invest in. Or something. I've I've never done a startup. I've bought existing businesses um, and built them and bought other businesses, but I've never done a startup. And, and I absolutely rate people who who can 
stop what they're doing, step off the escalator, and actually start something. That's that's impressive. That's a skill. Yeah, it's mad. And it's mad. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, it's exciting. I love. It. Like I um I recently just started a marketing company. You see what happens, and it, it's <laughs> it's been quite a a ride. It's been fascinating. Lots of four to forty different turns in very short pace of time. Well, the best advice I never took was um, I had uh, a guy, we were talking about, you know, people setting up and starting up businesses. And he said, uh, so first thing you've got to do is always surround yourself with people who are really smart. And that's advisors and preferably smarter than you. Easier for some than others. Um, and then the second thing is get your structures. So um, pay yourself a wage. He said, I don't care if it's $500 a month. But pay yourself a wage, and then on the twentieth you pay yourself, and you pay your PAYE, and it's all that structures of mm. paying those things. The temptation when you have a startup is, I'll be the last person in the queue, and I, if there's some money left over, I'll I'll take the money. He said, if you, you do that, there's nothing that focuses the mind more than you've just paid yourself, but you've now got a creditor saying, hey, I want to get paid. That focuses the mind, and you then go to your debtors and say, oi, pay me. Because you're in a small business and you start it up, you give away credit, but your creditors are the smart people. They demand you to either pay straight away or they give you seven or ten day turns because they don't trust you that much. But you give away your time to your debtors and say, yeah, yeah, you can pay me next month when really you can't afford it. Um, so he said, focus your mind, pay yourself, pay your debt, your tax by making it a PAYE. And so that salary, so you've paid yourself, man, you're going to go and pull that money in. You're going to get it into the business. That was pretty good advice, which I never took. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I've got um something called Henry where it like pays the tax for you. But I didn't think of. I think it's like a belief system and a mindset. I find that's mm. usually the determining factor of whether people are successful. Because I I find I'm realizing I've massive limiting beliefs around money and feeling deserving of being successful. Yeah. So I'm like, that's normally what holds people back. Yeah. yeah. Like, fuck. Yeah. But I, 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 the more I talk to people that either are successful, let's say someone's, they're in a one-man band and they haven't been able to reach a certain point. And often I find they find it hard to delegate and trust others. Mm. Um, they're often technicians and they've probably been jaded and hurt and all these different sort of things. And then you see sort of people that reach sort of medium-sized businesses and they have that they have the realization of their weaknesses and their strengths and they outsource the things they're not good at and just do the things they enjoy and they don't seem to be as stressed mm. um, because they're doing the things they love and they don't burn out. It's re one of the toughest gigs, I think, is being the first chief executive or GM of a company where the founders step back and you step into that role. <laughs> and so, and we've, we've done it a number of times and I always counsel the founders, et cetera, the same way. So, right, tell me, write your own job description first. Because what they do is they say, no, no, we, you know, we've had advice and people really think we should, you know, get a GM or a chief executive in and we'll step back. Okay, let's, let's talk about that stepping back business. What does that really mean? Well, I've still got the same office and people still come to me and they ask decisions, et cetera. The reality is the first chief executive doesn't invariably fail, but invariably has a very tough time. And it's not until they leave and they realise what they were doing that the second chief executive, the business starts to get a bit more structure and get going. Because mm. they suddenly, the founders realise what their role is and they step into those side roles as opposed to just running the business. What leads to a CEO doing a great job? You know what I mean? Do they come in and listen for the first four weeks? 
Yeah, yeah, very, always be cautious of someone who comes in um, early on with uh, all the ideas and says this is <laughs> this is the runway. Um, normally, like, we're humans, so our pattern of behaviour normally repeats. So someone who comes into a role has generally done well somewhere else. Maybe not as a chief executive, but they've done well. Mm. And the reason they've done well is they've um, canvassed the situation, researched it, listened to people, assessed the, the, um, the situation as they see it, figured out that there's probably two or three options to go forward and then bounced those around some people, either in the business or outside, etc. And they, they, they might be convinced from early on that they know that what the solution is, but they'll still go through those steps. And then most of the time they were right if they're smart, but other times they go, that's interesting, hadn't thought about that, and they'll vary. So a good chief executive will actually listen. And as you get bigger, they have to build other skills. Like they have to listen up and down. They've got to listen to the board, listen <laughs> to the chair, right, yeah. and as well as their own people. So when they say it's lonely at the top, absolutely it is because they're pressured from both sides. Underneath, everybody wants them to go and do things, and the board might be actually limiting them to doing things and they're not able to articulate that they can't say that because six month time this thing's um, getting sold or, or whatever you know it's a it's a tough gig being a chief executive which is why you see a lot more of them now looking for mentors and, and outside people to tap into because they often just can't talk to the people in their business about some of those issues. Not that they're being secretive, well, they are executive, but it, it's not that they're, they're doing anything unethical. It's just that the fact that for, for certain reasons they can't involve everybody in this this decision time. So it's tough. Yeah, you did well. There's some angry guy was screaming while you're talking, but you're locked in. He's <laughs> out in the street. There's always angry guys talking. Well, <laughs> yeah, especially when you're next to the mission, which, you know, it is what it is. Um, Okay, well, let's go a little more in in depth on the recruitment side of that. How to recognize it? What's the process? I find the best recruiters are people 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 that have trust issues. <laughs> there's yeah yeah there's there's a degree that's a very actually that really does make me laugh. So um, there's um, it is relatively easy to go and find a technical skill. Do you have whatever it is you're looking for. I don't know. Mm. If you're looking for IT, you know, do you have these technical skills? Can you do this? The behavioural bit is, is the bit that differentiates. And and I haven't yet found a search engine yet that can find someone who has potential. You know, you, in in the old days, as in I'm old, so it was days, but um, uh, careers were relatively linear. So, in, say in marketing, if you were looking for a marketing manager, you'd go back a step and you'd get a senior product manager or a group product manager or a product manager. And if you're looking for a product manager, you go back a step and you look for a marketing assistant or something. But, but now, careers are, are just exploding. They're lateral. People step out for two years and go and have a startup in their garage and then they come back in here or they go out to the side. So some of that uh, some of that sort of easy li- linear career stuff's gone as people just explode and they do some side hustles and, and other things. So, so then it comes back to the fact of saying I need to understand you as a person because your personal behavior will determine what happens within this role because you'll gain the skill so how do i understand you as a person 
and you're right, there's there's a degree of cynicism in there because, <laughs> you know, the best interviewee doesn't make the best employee. Mm. They're just really good at promoting themselves. Mm. And they're all braced up and they've been through 10 interviews, never got the job, but they're actually match fit because they've been to a lot of interviews. And they're just zinging, they're just firing things off. And you go, wow. And then you ask a few probing questions and the ball starts to crumble and you realise that actually it's a, it's a front and they've never really delivered on anything. Yeah, so I heard that before from another recruiter saying that, um, yeah, the best the people that are the best of the interview aren't necessarily the best of the job because, as you say, they match fit. It's interesting. There's a crossover. So how how do we like? I I know it's sort of a process I go through to try and find people mm-hmm. whether they're authentic and challenge them a little bit. Sometimes piss them off a little bit. Um, how do you uncover either true intent or true behavior? Um, you you have to empathize um, and so that might be that you're saying to them uh, so this happened to me how would you do that and it might be a mistake you've made um, so you you you, you uh, empathize about making mistakes etc to get them someone who denies ever making a mistake is a real issue and so what <laughs> what I'm often asking people is is tell us about the sort of projects that didn't work, mistakes you made, etc. But now looking back on it, what would you do differently? What did you learn out of that process? How did you grow? What happened? What are the roadblocks that happened? Oh, well, I didn't see this coming. Okay, so could you have? What do you think? Looking back on it now. So if you ask the old classic strengths and weaknesses question, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Oh, I'm too detail-orientated. <laughs> well, how's that, how's that a weakness? You know, yeah. but They'll try and give you a strength and dress it up as a weakness. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> so in the end, what you're doing is, is I've got, a, I've got a, a great chief executive I work for, and his, his ultimate uh, interview is not a question. It, it's a it's a, a feeling of can I walk, if I walk out of this, can I fly from Auckland to Wellington sitting beside this person and not want to tear my eyes out? <laughs> you know. So in other words, can you work with this person? Because we're not all the same, and you might be quirky and um, or very introverted or whatever, but you've got something to offer. But can I work with you? How do I get it out of you? Mm. You know. I'm, um, and that's a role that an intermediary can play, whatever that is. You know, it's a friend or a recruiter or someone else can say, I really think you should think about um, Robbie because I know he's quiet and I know he doesn't look like he's sort of sparking out the room, but wow, when he opens his mouth, it's real. Mm. And someone goes, oh, okay, I'll, I'll consider him. And sometimes we need that second validation of someone else coming in on the side to do that. That's what referees are for. But um, Yeah. I, I, it took me back to, so I almost run out of money, and uh, I was like, okay, I'm going to do commissionally sales because it scares me. And I walk in, and that, that why would you why would you do something that scares you? I don't want it to scare me anymore. So I'm going to front my fear. Yeah, I'm by face doing my fear. It. So I don't like spiders. So I'm going to put myself in a spider yeah, cage. Exposure therapy. Okay. Yeah. So go on. Obviously, sorry. Intro- next question. What was the escape hatch though? To get out of it. Yeah, yeah, because you, you can't go into that sort of fear without knowing that I've got a parachute somewhere. Yeah, well, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't have one of those. Whoa. I didn't run out of money. I'll, I'll come to sleep on the street, <laughs> I guess. Okay. You know, my, my yeah, I, to be honest, my um parachute is always, at what point would it not, could I not handle the situation? Yeah. And I don't know of a situation that I couldn't. Completely overwhelmed. 
In terms yeah. Of, yeah, like I'll get stressed or whatever, but if, let's say I lose everything, all my money, I sleep on a park bench, that's fine. Mm. Do that, done that before, slept in the tent, mm. lived off $10 a week of food. Uh, what if I get ostracized and alienated from others? Okay, well, that's the, my perception of that experience is what matters as mm. opposed to the experience. And Be if, a recruiter, it happens every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but just to pull it back, I, I went and applied, obviously interviewed in awkward. And the, the, I found out later that they said to the sales leader that was going to train me, uh, he's a bit awkward. He, I don't know if he could even do it, but fuck it. Do you want him? <laughs> he's like, all right. And then he gave me a crack. And, and you know, on surface, it took me a while <laughs> to grasp it. I went to try and stop this guy and, and, the, and to sell him something, and he had something in his hand, and I was stressed out. So I shook his thumb. And he's like, what are you doing? I was like, trying to build a relationship because that's what they told us. <laughs> and I just had a meltdown. But yeah, it's it's not always apparent um, how a person will contribute to the organization. And if you can find their values, yeah. if they're genuinely passionate, and if your vision can help them achieve their dreams, then I think that's what I hire for. What do you how What do you look for, or do you mold them together? Or? Ooh, molding. We were talking about um, that the other day. Someone mentioned shaping, and I went, "Ooh, shaping. Hang on, that's a bit Machiavellian, because now you're trying to shape them into something that you think's like clay, oh, yeah, okay. and that's not." You know, that's not our. I can't shape you into something that that I want. Manipulate them into. Yeah, I can. Manip- <laughs> I can manipulate you into considering it, but I can't yeah, yeah. shape you into becoming it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, um, anyway, back to <laughs> so it is. Uh, there's there's a number of really key people in organisations, uh, and they are they are often the glue, and they're not the people you suspect. And and um, the other ones are the gorillas, the other terrorists, and and the other ones you pretty much you can get a hand on who a terrorist is because uh, they're throwing grenades around. You pick up a couple, or you hear about a couple, and you, and you can source it. You know where that's coming from. You say terrorists? Yeah. Oh yeah. I, yeah. Okay. Yep. Every organization's got them, <laughs> got a right? terrorist. Yeah. 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 They got a terrorist. They're sitting there. And they don't look like a terrorist. They they, they look like they are committed, but they throw oh. grenades and un, undercut people and and whatever. Mm. And they got to be rooted out. You got to figure out who they are. Yeah. But harder to figure out where the glue is, and and because the glue people are warm and open and generous and and kind and don't promote themselves, mm. until you suddenly find out they're the one that is reminding everybody that it's Sarah's birthday, and uh, they're the one who who hold the values and the culture to their heart, and live it, um, where the others look at it on the wall and go and they'll point to it, but there's a few who will actually live it and. Um, a good leader in the organisation doesn't have to be the chief executive, can be any role, uh, should be able to name those people. Hmm. And it doesn't matter what they get paid, they're, they're the glue they're going through. And often you don't find out until they go. And then some th- things fall apart. And you go, whoa, what happened? And Well, it was Roberta. And I don't know whether you knew, but Roberta just used to do this and do that for people and pulled it all together and something went missing when she left. Hmm. So, yeah, but anything you can do in your business is to, to hunt out your Robertas and find your um, the, the glue people who actually hold the values and live them. And by the way, you have to as a leader too. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's the hard part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they can do it. but They can do it. Oh, yeah, that's fine. But I'm just going to go and buy some booze on the company credit card. Yeah. <laughs> no, nah, not living the values, sunshine. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I try to extrapolate all my friends like what our values are as individuals and then I just use that and often my I found my values are the contradiction to the things that I do badly mm-hmm. so like I play victim quite often but my core value is taking responsibility so I can go from the extremes of taking responsibility and playing a victim or empathy. I can be cruel and insensitive or I can be incredibly empathetic irrespective of what a person does. So I'm finding my values are actually the things that I find hard to accept about myself. They're the things that solve the things I find hard to accept about myself. So does that mean that you end have ended up in a situation where you are master of your own destiny because you couldn't find that that those contradictory things sticking inside of uh, another place, another company. Yeah, I, I, I read my um, kindergarten card, a report card. I found it recently and said, Ryan will play along with the others, but he likes to make his own rules. <laughs> All right, mission, yeah. by, mission statement said in the kindergarten. <laughs> yeah, it worked out early. Yeah, right, it was really introspective, like yeah, psychological yeah. analysis as a young person. Yeah. But yeah, I do, I do find that I want to have influence over my life, my destiny, and I find nice. that translates into business, translates into relationships. It's just, and then the tricky thing is is balancing empathy for how other people approach the world with like mm. I haven't worked out the recipe for being like, hey, this person is in breach of my boundaries. I don't connect with the extremes are easy. Some people are like, oh, all the best of life. I don't hate you, but I don't want to be around you. Yeah. Yeah, telling, telling drop kicks that you don't want to be around them is not easy. Um, <laughs> mm. If you're a naturally, if you're naturally a nice person in the in the sense that you don't want to offend people, like you know, again coming back to our business, we're in the no business. Ninety eight percent of the time, I'm telling people they haven't got the job. Um, you know, the person who gets the job, super excited, etc. Wonderful. Numbers two, three, and four. By the time they got through the process. They, they were on board. They really wanted the job and they crushed. Mm. After that, numbers five, six, seven, eight, there's varying degrees of disappointment. Uh, well, kind of threw my hat in the ring or whatever. But dealing with numbers two, three, and four, who really did you know, get to the point where saying, this is what I want to do and it's not going to happen, is mm. tough. Mm. Even now, we, we did this course where we were actually um, doing a bit of... Um, FBI um, interrogation techniques about training about people because it was really how do you convey that message? And they were talking about how do you convey the fact that someone's died to family members. A little bit more dramatic than we're dealing with. But still, uh, the people get very emotionally involved and it's a grief process. We have to walk them down the other side. I can't just ring up and say, look, Ryan Hayes, I know you gave it a good shot, mate, but it's not going to happen. It's, it's a no. Yeah, get um, over it, move on. Yeah, get over They're it. They're dead. They're not dead again. And I find human behaviour is, and I'm, I'm a shocker at it too, human behaviour is you're over-talking. I said, right, oh, look, you know, really good feedback on the interview. The interview went really well, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. But look, it's probably not going to happen. You don't hear that. You don't actually hear the no because your whole brain's set up for the yes that unless I say to you right up front, Ryan, I'm really disappointed, I have to tell you, it's mm. no, it's not going to happen. And then your brain freezes up. And I say, look, I'll give you a minute to process it. And then we'll have a coffee. I'll walk you down and I'll tell you some of the things or we can talk about it now. And if you've, I'll be able to tell whether you've processed or not. If you haven't processed, I'll leave you. And then we'll catch up. 
and I'll try and have a coffee and meet and I'll walk down and I'll try and give you some feedback. So you come out of the other end of it having learned something because you've put yourself out, right? You've, you've invested in something quite a lot emotionally, etc. So you deserve to have a learning out of this. Actually, Ryan, you know, it was going well, but then you went over this way and it kind of blew the room and uh, might be something you want to think about. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I like the two concepts of being nice and being kind. They're different things. And I find, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I find people yeah. often will say nice things for their own fear of judgment as opposed to what's right for that person. And if you're actually, it's hard. And I'm, I rank quite high on agreeableness, so I don't like to offend people either. <laughs> but but it, it, you're doing a disservice to them, you know. So either if you don't do the no, that it's clear. If the, you don't give reasons for the no, they go their whole lives having horrible jobs or being denied jobs or not mm. having good relationships. And it, it, it's it's horrible if you don't give them that opportunity to understand. Yeah, yeah, it is. And and um, But you have to understand human behavior enough to know that I'm in saying no to you, I can't be trying to make myself feel better about this because it's not about me. I've got to make sure that you're okay about this. Mm. Uh, and that's why I say, you know, the opening bit is it, it's no. Because otherwise, you, you say, you get to the end and there's a part of you will say, so there's still a chance. Uh, no, no, I, I really mean to say no, <laughs> but I was being kind and yeah, i wasn't yeah. kind of dealing with it and i'm just tracking on and then and you're saying well you know but if the other person doesn't work out they'll come back to me no yeah. <laughs> so that's why you have to really sort of clarify it right at the front and then say let's walk through it as a grief process and talk it through makes it like if someone hit me with a no i'm like oh fuck and my mind's going blah, blah, blah. and then later i have time to think yeah, yeah. it's smart yeah, yeah so thoughts on this it's going to sound a little unusual to start with should you give the ugly candidate the job? And what I mean by that is <laughs> you've got these two to fives, not in terms of aesthetics, but like they're number two to three, four, five. They don't actually, they don't have all the repertoire, the talent, but they actually care and they actually want the job. Mm. Would they not therefore be the best candidate? Yeah. And so that's about the um, behavioral attributes, etc. And And it depends uh, on what the... Uh, the client or your own company can afford. And by afford, I don't mean money. I mean time and resources, right? Mm -hmm. So it might be that someone's going to start from a little further back but has a longer runway because you can say, oh, with a little investment of time, etc., this person could fly compared to done it before, Coke to Pepsi, proving, etc., so they could kind of start day one. The, the risk in doing something like that is that your Coke to Pepsi person, six months' time, they go, same shit, different day, right? Mm. It's, it's um, they, they go, oh, why did I do this? Because it's kind of the same. And yet companies tend to fall into that trap and say, I need someone who's who's done that before because that's what we do. It's exactly the same. Go, yeah, but why would they do that? Why Why would they want to do that to change company to go and do the same thing? They've got to grow. And if that means they're growing, that means that they haven't yet done that. They're going to grow into it. So they're going to start from first base, not third base where you want them. And so that's about can the company, some companies just because of stress, they can't do that. They just have to have somebody who's done that before. Fine. 
now this is this is a comment about this is an old man's comment um we've kind of given up on training right and the reason we gave up on it is everybody used to train people and then um as the economy wound up and and migrant populations came in and we um opened borders etc we could buy the talent that we wanted at the level we wanted it so i don't have to train somebody i'll just buy someone who can do that and the real lesson from covid when all of that disappeared and you couldn't buy the talent you were was that you had to rely on your own people and train them to do the next job so one of the post-covid things that i hope we don't lose and i suspect as we open the border we probably will is that ability to take someone and said, I know you're at first base, but I will train you into the role to get you to second, to get you to third and get you home. Yeah. I always, because it's interesting, you got different school of thoughts, because I, I, I lean towards the, like, I would rather, like they say in a therapy, 70% of the um, therapy is the relationship. And I think as a leader in an organization, I think someone that's already got an existing rapport and the respect of others and an understanding, mm. why should not that half a million or whatever you're paying these CEOs go towards investing in the person that's already believes in your culture, proven record, and has a relationship? So, mm. yeah, that's what I would lean towards, but then that's contrary to what you actually deliver. <laughs> so what what do you think of the different school of thoughts? Or <sighs> So, um, we... We all crave personal growth. Yeah. So, uh, and I, I think of it a bit like um, a clown's long sausage balloon. If you squeeze it in the middle, it gets larger on the left and the right. Okay? So if you think about your, your home, work, and play as those things, if your work isn't providing you satisfaction in the short term, you will find it in other places, um, in your play and leisure and hobbies and or in your home and your life and your family, etc. And and conversely, if those things are getting squeezed, they pop up elsewhere. And obviously, the better balance you have, nice full balloon, the better. And so, what you've, what what is in danger of happening? I am not enjoying my job. I'm not fulfilled. I'm not getting trained to go through squeeze. I'll put up with it because economically it's giving me a return, but I'll throw all my energy and drive and passion into my leisure and my personal life <laughs> and none into my work. Yeah, most people. I'm a, I'm a taker, <laughs> right? I'll take the money, I'll turn up, I'll do the job, yeah. but don't expect the X factor because it ain't happening. And so that's what the company has to recognize, that that person isn't a poor employee they kind of just lost to the business. And and how do you turn that back on? So the balloon opens up and they're getting satisfaction at work and they bounce into work. And when you say that actually we, we kind of want to get back to the office, they go, oh, I'm up for it. You know, you know, let's have a work from home day on Friday, but I'll come in three days or four days because the buzz, I want to be around the buzz again. I just, I, I just can't get why that's not more of a an important thing in a company, whether out of ignorance or... But the... I was even talking to a recruiter and proves the bottom line. He, he was saying he was saying that uh, same guy. You guys that might not agree with this. You might don't, but you seem to have a lot of concurrent viewpoints. Um, companies with a better culture pay less. Mm-hmm. 
not because they pay less, but because the culture itself is a selling point, so they don't have to incentivize with money. Yeah. Yep. Um, you see the fact that the companies uh, having to pay a, a premium are ones where uh, they've got a, a reputation or, or something, so it's not a good reputation. And so we have to we have to play a role where we might say, look, I know you think X Y Z's bag of crap, and and it has been. Uh, here's the CEO. Here's his plan. Up to you. Do you want to come on board for the risk? Because now it's your career risk. You, people will tell you, don't join that company. Um, but though there is a plan going forward, if there is no plan and they are genuinely just joining X Y Z and everybody knows it's a bag of crap, uh, then they have to pay an economic reward for it which mm. is i'll pay you more to do it they're right yeah so okay let's consequently though i i and this is where it gets kind of interesting um i come back to my stress argument about being in a low uh, unemployment environment i love my company i know if i left i could get more money um but i love it here fine but then there's a gap that widens and when and I don't know what that gap is, yeah, but yeah. it gets to a point where they go, actually, economically, this isn't, this doesn't make sense anymore. Um, I, I, I love it. I don't want to go, but I, I can't. Now, companies can sometimes then respond when someone resigns by saying, actually, you know, we should up your salary, and they may be close enough. The person goes, Whew, I'll, I, it's now close enough that I'll actually still stay because I still love the culture. Yeah, and it, it makes sense as well. Like, if you were a company that had good culture, you sh- you would tend to try and pay your people more over time. You know, like because you care and you want them to be successful, and so it's kind of a bit of both, which is quite interesting. I, I just I I know often business owners I come across are stressed, they're worried about money, and I, I get it. It's just often the people are their biggest expense, right? Most yeah. of the time. Um, or certainly, you know, number two, and they're certainly significant. And if you treat people like a product, then what you're saying is an inventory levels, I want to buy my product for as cheap as I can yeah, because I'll make more margin on it. And if you treat people like that, you've got a problem. But um, but it, it defines how you will engage with it. And normally you won't really address it until it slams you in the face and someone resigns and says, I'm getting 20% more going somewhere else. And then you go, or I see it on the other thing where I they might come to me and say, "Hey, I need a new whatever," and you say, "Well, this is what the market rate for that is," and they go, "Oh, I can't afford that." And I thought, "Well, that's that's your issue. That's your decision. I'm just telling you what the market is." And he said, "But if I get if I pay that, I'll have to up the salaries of all my other people." Yeah, yeah, you will because. Unless they're hiding behind a bushel, they'll know that that's where the market's been moving anyway. So at the moment, they're sitting there grumbling. Mm. Well, they haven't mentioned anything to me. No. <laughs> What's the issue about that? Mm. <laughs> so, so there's a, uh, and I feel for it. And I think there's things like the horticultural industry, which got absolutely not by Cyclone Gabriel, but got hammered by um, the the stopping of immigration of cheap labor yeah and and i was hearing a couple of politicians talk about that and one of them made the very clever point of saying if your business case is pre 
ded- is dedicated only on the basis of it working by cheap labour, it's not sustainable as a business. You need to think about your business, about automation, about other things you can do. Because if the only way you can survive is having extremely cheap labour, you're going to be dead in the water in a few years. The the bigger the biggest problem I see in that, like, so I had a to start the business, I got a, did everything wrong, got a personal loan, uh, could could and then hired <laughs> someone and just see what happened. Uh, and I could I had a choice, so I could have gone cheap Fiverr Upwork to get a video editor because I try to mm-hmm. replace the things that are important but I don't want to do. Yep. Um, and I could have gone Upwork and you hold them accountable, you don't have to train them, blah blah blah, but you lose out on one of the most valuable things, which is the return that people can give you if you invest in what they're capable of. And just, it's so amazing. I just like, because they're an expert in what they do and I just sit there and listen because I do editing as well just to fill the gap while we're trying. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just in awe in terms of their ability to be creative and think for themselves. It's a relationship where it's like Steve Jobs says, you hire people to listen to them. You don't hire them to tell them what to do because it all bottlenecks to you. Yeah, it's one of the issues I have with the supposed number eight why mentality. Look how clever we are because we can, you know, put our hand to anything. Um, and far too many businesses do that, and it's wasteful. Hire a weapon. Yeah. And they'll do it in a twenty-five percent of the time, and and it'll be a better outcome, and you might learn something. Doesn't uh, matter. Just mad, but we get stuck in this thing about saying, oh, "I'll have a crack." And it's half-assed and it doesn't work that well, etc. And you just, you know, get a weapon. Yeah, and, and I, I do relate to those people because essentially, like, I'm talking a lot about myself today. I'm just on a roll, really. <laughs> I'm doing my job as a recruiter. Yeah, yeah, you, you can see the talent. Now, I would, I don't, as a rule, tend to struggle to trust people and yep. I don't want to delegate. I want to do it myself yep. because they will look bad. They'll make me look bad because of my own insecurities. So I had to learn. Or even like Ooh. someone told me, a, a teammate, he's like, why are you competing with other people in the office? You know, like, who's that helping? I'm like, fuck, who is that helping? <laughs> I'm sabotaging them so I can get ahead. Yeah, so yeah. so that transition from decentralization as opposed to me feeling like I'm the boss, even though I shouldn't be, mm. you know what I mean? Was that empowering when that happened that first time you hired someone who was better at something than you? Oh, yeah, amazing. Yeah. But, yeah, but risky. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm good. Yeah. Lots of risk at the moment. <laughs> How many balls have you got in the air at the moment? You've got these different yeah. gigs you've got going. Yeah. Essentially, so I've got a financial advisory um, book of business and I just don't take on new clients and I have a duty of care to them. So I'm trying to work out how to pull that together. And then obviously I'm doing all the content and the podcasting and then I've got a marketing company and then we have meetings with the staff to try and be like, yeah, how do we do Um yeah, so I don't think that's a good way to do things. I just I'm torn between my two responsibilities, and I think I've heard of like a guy called Alex Mose. He's like, just pick one. But I'm like, I have a duty of care to the thirty odd more years that they need support in retirement. Yeah, I, I, um, yeah, I, I don't necessarily agree with that sort of pick one. I, I think oh, yeah. that um, you know, do what you're passionate about. Yeah, but you can grow your passion. You know, so um. Yeah, I'm, I'm, at the moment, I'm passionate about um, my garden, but I don't want to be a gardener. Um, I was passionate about making beer during lockdown, but I don't want to be a brewer. Um, so, 
yeah, careful about following your passion. I mm. think you, your passion can grow. I, I bought into um, this business originally because I'd sold another one. I was looking for another investment. And um, I thought, oh, yeah, no, because I knew a few of the guys in some of the other businesses. And that they might. I said, oh, I know a bit about that. And I've hired a few people. But I wasn't passionate about it. But I grew a passion for it because I knew what it could do uh, to people and the influence it have, and also the fact that the influence that has on you and you grow as a person. And also, I'm business curious, right? I'm curious about businesses. What a fabulous job. I get to talk to all sorts of businesses mm. all day. And they tell me, oh, yeah, we just won this huge contract in Australia. Like, oh, wow. And someone else is starting this and doing that. So I'm just soaking up all this wonderful information. And um, for me, that's like, Oh, I'm a sponge for it. It's fun part of the job. It's hearing the stories. Yeah. Well, essentially, I, like I'm a believer that you need a reason to suffer in the sense that... A reason to suffer, man. Yeah, it's a bit dark. It's like it's, a man's search for meeting. You know, you can yeah, yeah. handle any what if you know your why. There's more poetic than that. Um, so I think, you know, you talked about gardening and beer. I, I think there's underlying drivers and I talk about it often in the podcast, is like the most fulfilling thing you can do is to help a version of yourself in the world to solve a problem that you have struggled or witnessed with and that you get an immense joy when you solve that. And that manifests in different ways. It could manifest in gardening, could manifest in beer. But when you find something like that, for mine is to help every person or give every person the opportunity to live a fulfilling life. So I don't like finance. I'm not interested in it. I just learned it because you can't live a fulfilling life without money. Marketing is interesting, but it's not a like, you know, I wouldn't say that's my super talent, but that way I can reach a lot of people. And then mm. it's like, how do I create a scalable offering to help people live fulfilling life? But that theme has never changed. Like whether it's 2 a.m. in the morning, someone's talking about what led to them shaping who they are. And if there's something I can ask that will lead to them realizing something about themselves, I'll just feel awake. What do you think if you use that framework? Because I'm testing it as an idea. Yeah. What do you think is the most fulfilling thing that you feel like you can do that is solving a problem that you might have experienced? So I, I um, so another way of answering that is um, I've been, one of the things I've enjoyed the most in my business is saying goodbye to people. And so I remember I did a, um, one of the guys left and, and, uh, it was the time. It was time. He, he needed to grow, into an, and I couldn't offer him what he wanted in the next time. It was absolutely appropriate that he, that he should take that opportunity. And I took this photo of, of me strangling him, and, <laughs> and put it up on LinkedIn, and said, you know, and wrote this thing about him to say, hey, this is neat next step, etc. And this is something to unbelievable. The comments people made said, you know, normally places you know, don't darken my doorstep for doing something else, but um, I was really proud of him, and I'd I'd grown him. I, I I was proud of the work I'd done. He did all the work. I was just giving him the yeah, tools. Yeah. You can admit it now. You can't do it when he's there. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. got to give him the credit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> give him credit. <laughs> At the time, it was yeah, do yeah. it like that. <laughs> um, so I think the uh, the formative part of that is actually saying that um, we get our success through other people. And, our, and, and uh, if you're otherwise, you're an island. Um, so. So how do you get your success through people? Well, it's reflected. Someone says to you, good job. Or someone says to you, thank you um, for the help in my career. Or someone says, or your children says, you're awesome. You know? So all those things build up. 
and and that's how um, you collect them and you and you grow as, as a person by collecting by giving and then getting those things but the clue is you've got to give first you can't get um, mm. first so you've got to put out there like you got to a point where you said I'm just going to do this I'm going to yeah. go I'm just going out there to do it and and you there, there was possibly no logical reason that you were going to get an outcome out of this yeah, no. But you did it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you, and you said to me, you just reached out to me and said, come and have a chat. Okay. Yeah. I didn't do any further work than that. I didn't go and critique you. Will this advance my career? Possibly this will sink it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it could be by association. <laughs> this is, this is right. a controversial man. Controversial man. Um, <laughs> but, but why not talk about things that interest you to other people who are interesting? I mean, your background is interesting. Um, Thank you. And and there's, well, I I really like people. Um, so I, I I talk to people who've been made redundant or their companies have gone, etc. And that's real T intersection stuff. There's no option. You've got to go left or right. You know, th- there's someone slammed the, the road ahead, and it and it really it's quite dramatic for some people because they've never really had the, they've had variations like forks in the road where they've gone a little bit left or right but they've never really been in a situation where wow that whole thing's blocked i have to make a decision whether i go this way or that way and it's quite confronting mm. um, and most of the time in a redundancy that's the issue it's not a i mean companies will give you some out placement work etc mostly to feel good about themselves uh but the real issue is I thought I was on this track and that's been ripped up. Where do I go with this? And the brave ones like you go, I'm going to throw this ball as far out as I can that way. Mm. See what happens. And um, there's, I'll take my hat off. That's tough stuff. Yeah, we'll see. Could be done, but either or it's fun. Look, it's a journey, right? So you get to the end of that, it blows up and you go, (laughs) okay, I met a lot of interesting people and, Uh, um, I learned a whole lot of new things about myself. You know, like is challenging or is potentially stressful? I often find I'm the person that decides if it's stressful or not as opposed to the event imposing it on me. But the the thing is I would much rather have all that stress and risk and fear than living in a job I don't like that's secure. Yeah. And it's so engaging. So of those people that might be sitting, because we're at it now, of those people who might be sitting in their secure, cushy job and they're thinking about a new change because I imagine that's probably the 80-20 for you now is just getting people to leave their fucking job. What would you say to them and how can they reach you? So I think um, if, you're, if you're unhappy in your work, you need to understand why because um, just changing jobs won't change anything unless you understand the core reasons. I don't like what is happening to me here. I'm becoming a version of myself I don't like. Or um, I don't like the way they treat people. I think the culture is bad, etc. Okay, those are all re- things that you can fix because you can go somewhere that has better culture, that has you know, different things. I think if it's if it's you, it's harder because that's a real self-reflection. And someone says we don't think you're doing a very good job. Uh, that's even harder. And and so I. I prefer to deal with people who are fully formed and I call fully formed people the ones who have uh, a good understanding of self, uh, a good understanding of uh, what they're really good at, what they're not so good at and what they might need some help with and are honest about that because they'll always be successful. No one's perfect. Everyone's going to have bits that need help. Hey, 
get a weapon, you know, go and bring that bit in to solve that for you because I'm not very good at that. Mm. So I think if you want to do that, it's really important that you go to, it sounds philosophical now, it's really important you go towards something, not away from it. So don't leave a company, go towards something else. It's very easy to leave. You resign, you walk out. Um, but what are you going towards? What's the what's that feeling that you want? What's the growth that you want? And it's for some people, it's a Forrest Gump moment with a box of chocolates. They have to taste a few things before they figure out the flavor they really like. Other people can be quite. These are the ones that scare me. The ones who who are so clear. This is what I want, etc. And I think. Really? Why? That sounds to me like it's a mantra rather than a genuine hmm. passion about something. It's like, I should be a lawyer. Why? I'm not sure. But somehow <laughs> it's got into me. the mantra, right? <laughs> I need his validation. <laughs> and so, um, and I know, you know, law firms have generally been pretty horrific about actually training and growing people. It can be utterly dependent on the partner you're working with. Good partner, good relationship, I'll grow. Bad partner, I don't like law. Nothing to do with law. It's just the fact that you were underneath a bad partner. Hmm. So anyway, coming back onto if you're thinking about your career, then um, think about the things that you want and what's not happening. Because if, if you are super happy in your role and you're getting fulfilled, etc., when I call you, you'll be saying, no thanks, Ian, having the time of my life, and I'll go wicked, uh, noted. But at any point, if I hear that that's not happening, give me a call. Hmm. Well, easy. If I hear you saying, um, absolutely, um, can we meet tomorrow? I'm really not enjoying this. Thing. I'm, I've got, okay, great, but then I've also got, mm, but why? Perfect scenarios for me, I ring someone and they go, well, that's interesting, I hadn't considered that. I'm not really looking, but... That's kind of interesting. Tell me a little bit more. Now I know that you're not necessarily active, but you not you won't not consider something if I if hmm. it's the right thing. Yeah. So now you've got a better. I'm talking to someone who's got a better sense of self. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's going to be <laughs> so. Whoever is willing to do the introspective journey that likes their place enough <laughs> hasn't quite considered until hearing that spiel. Put I'll leave this questionnaire. <laughs> yeah, I'll, yeah. Put up this post questionnaire. We'll analyze if you enjoyed it. I'll, I'll leave it for your podcast experience. Uh, post things. Well, thank you for coming. Hi, it's been it's been uh, a gas. It's good. Cool. Enjoyed the time. Thanks. <laughs>